You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. The Houndsman XP podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsman of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsman. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this made-in-America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say made-in-America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in there. The original podcast for the complete Houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Shoot up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week do you spend on As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here.
Hey folks, I want to talk to you about an important piece of gear that you need. Check out Cajun hunting lights. I don't care if you're a coon hunter in the east, a big game hunter in the west, or a leopard hunter in South Africa. Having a light that is functional is important to running these hounds. I particularly like the micro gator hunting headlight when I'm bear hunting. It's small, it's lightweight, it's compact, and it's highly functional. Bright white lights, red lights, green lights, it's all in that one small package. But I just keep it on a cap early in the mornings, looking, inspecting tracks, things like that. I'm not uh, getting a little handheld flashlight out there. It's on my head. When I'm looking at something, the light's shining on it. It's awesome. And then, of course, you get into their high-performance end with the Rogaroo and their intermediate light. They're all highly functional. And the thing about Cajun lights is the customer service. It's a high-quality light, and LW is going to take care of you on the customer service. He just opened up a new store front in Tyner, North Carolina. You should stop in and check it out. It'd be a great place to hang out, swap a few stories, and uh, pick up a new light from Cajun Lights. You can find them at CajunLights.com. All right, so a couple weeks ago, I was kind of browsing around on social media and looking at different stuff, and I got a crazy idea to to look into to draughts or drothars and um i just asked a question on a working drop drop page about who to contact about multi-purpose uh people people are using draughts for multi-purpose and and your name kept coming up and i'm glad to have glad to have chad reynolds on the podcast how you doing chad I'm doing pretty good. I'm glad to be here. It's my first time. So Yeah. Yeah, this was kind of, I mean, I never even, your name kept popping up. And then when we made contact, I was like, holy cow, I need to talk to this guy. Because <laughs> I didn't realize all the things you were into. Kind of give us some background on who you are, where you're from, stuff like that, Chad. Oh, um, all right. Well, my name's Chad Reynolds. Uh, we uh, uh, operate Reynolds Ranch here. It's an animal training facility out in the, the southwest and uh, originally came from Central Florida, um, and then uh, kind of got into animal training as a kid um, and hunted hogs my life. I grew up doing that, and um, then trained dogs in the military. And then when I got out of the military, I wanted to pursue it some more. And while I was in the military, I did competitive bite work, PSA, and American Schutzen, and stuff, stuff like that. French ring a little bit. And, okay, uh, I got I got to stop you right there because we got a we got last week we had Ariel on last week, and uh, she is also a former military dog handler, and they were using that acronym PSA. So go ahead and and tell us what that is before we get too far along. Okay, yeah, uh, PSA is a Protection Sport Association. Um, there's a few different American um, bite sport associations. There's like Schutzen, and that's a German system. And there's French mm-hmm. Ring, which is French Ring, of course. And they have Mondio, which is a little bit smaller. But then they have PSA, and it's kind of one of the bigger American, you know, sport protection um, systems. And uh, yep. it's it's grown huge. Uh, Jerry Bradshaw, Joe Morris, and oh, 
I forget the third gentleman uh, created it many many years ago, and uh, it's it's in Canada now and all around the world. I think they have a club in China and it, it, it's really growing. So now yeah. it's not only Americans doing French and German bite sports in the states, but now we actually have other countries doing our bite sports now, which is you know unique. Yeah, that's what PSA is. It's it's known for. Um, suit work where everybody's wearing the full bite suit, not just the sleeve on the arm. And uh, we have a, a real powerful courage test where the decoy, that's the bad guy wearing the suit and the dog will yeah. actually run at each other as fast as they can. And in some other bite sports, it's all lateral motion. So left and right, right. or at the last second, they stop chasing, running forward and back up. And as you can imagine to a to a dog, any kind of lateral or retreating motions, I'll pray. So, right, you know, it's a little bit easier to overcome. Now they have other aspects of their sports that make it just as difficult or, you know, uh, whatever you're into, but something that makes PSA unique is the decoy is running right down the dog's throat, you know? So you get these like matrix style impacts where the dog and the decoy spin around each other and PSA, I believe right now is the only sport to actually um, require the hidden sleeve, you know, so a sleeve that is not visible. Right. Um, not a full, to, full to sleeve. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's really yeah. neat. Yeah. Well, I'm going to let you and Heath geek out on that stuff here in a couple of <laughs> weeks uh, yeah. or in the fu- near future. Um, Cause, um, but have you listened to Heath's podcast much yet? I am I am green to to the podcast. I've just been getting into them now, to be honest. So I may have and just don't know yet because I'm kind of just flooded. Right. For, I'm spoiled for choice right now. I just I'm late to the party uh, and kind of <laughs> keep my nose down and mess with the t- you know the dogs and everything. Well, you're now busy, just, man. Oh, very, very, very busy. So uh, not yet, but uh, and I might have. So I really can't give you right. a solid answer on that. Right. Right. I hear you. Well, the reason I wanted to talk to you is not about the uh, the training side. Heath Heath Hyatt runs a show on Wednesday for us called The Journey, mm-hmm. and he takes some real deep dives into neuroscience and how dogs' noses work, and and you know crossover transferable training skills from other working dog groups to incorporate into our hounds, and that's really what what um, led me to you was because. You know, I'm seeing these photos and, and different stuff on, on social media of uh, you hunting. And, and then I find out you're a professional dog trainer and you do PSA work and, and all this high performance type stuff. So I wanted to talk to you about a, that very unique breed, though, that we're going to get to that in the draughts because uh, uh, it is something that's unique. And we've, we've, uh, we're trying to expose all of these different different working breeds and find out what they're doing. So what are you, what are you doing these days besides give us like two minutes or three minutes of, of what you do for a living. And then we'll die. I want to take a deep dive into hunting. Oh, okay. We, we have a number of employees out here that works at our company, the Reynolds ranch LLC. And, uh, uh, we, we do all types of animal training. Um, uh, just, just like about circus everything. monkeys. We've done them, you know, we, we, we've, <laughs> no, done you we, we've done, not a circus coon- monkey, but another, uh, what's funny is I uh, want a coon hunting monkey. It, hey, we, 
I've uh, I've joked about getting a monkey to help me with my squirrel hawking back when I lived in the southeast. I would we'd hunt squirrels with red-tailed hawks and tree dogs, uh, feist and yag terriers, and uh, um, they'd always hide in the nest when the bird wasn't looking. And I've always joked about getting a monkey and training him to go up there and slap the nest to get the squirrel to pop out so the hawk could catch it, you know, but yeah, never, yeah. never done it. Um, but we train all types of animals out here. Uh, okay. We do sporting dogs, gun dogs, retrievers and stuff, of course, as well. But um, all types, we mess with birds, of course, falconry, um, but uh, a little bit of everything, really, um, it, it, depending on what contract we have. Then um, we trained animals for some movies um, and, and the like. So just just a, it sounds really generic when you say oh, I, we're animal trainers. They're like, oh, okay, so you train gun dogs, which is very complicated and hard. Uh, but uh-huh. we do that maybe as well as our competitors, and then we do a bunch of other stuff as well. So birds, bears, reptiles, whatever. Yeah, you can you train reptiles. Yeah, you can train them to perform in a certain way. Like I said, movies and, and, and the like, if they need to walk from here to there and stop. And they, they're not doing it for anything that you would see in a, in a show or on film. They're doing it for food or some other type of reinforcement. Right. right. But, uh, yeah, it's just. Well, back in the back in law enforcement training and military training, too, you talk about that reptilian brain mm-hmm. and how we as people revert back to that in stressful situations a lot of times and and i used to do a piece on that so it kind of amazed me when you said you train reptiles that's uh yeah that's a special that's a special talent i'm gonna tell you right now (laughs) they can be easy to manipulate they're simple-minded sometimes but them and birds they can be what some folks would consider simple-minded they don't have a lot of extra stuff rattling around in there, but in, in other ways, it's easy to, to manipulate them that way though. Cause they're, they're single-minded, you know, they, you know, it's, yeah. uh, nourishment or sustenance, food, water, um, security and reproduction. And it just, it's one of those three 24 seven, you know, that's it. Once you fill one, then they're thinking about the other. So. I got to stop or I'm going to, I'm going to start geeking out on training stuff and asking you to overlay that on to, how our dogs learned and how we raise kids and you know, all kinds of stuff. So <laughs> yeah. uh, let's, let's talk about hunting cause you do a lot of hunting and uh, I don't even know where to start Chad, because I've seen, I've seen photos and videos with, with everything from terriers to, to sidehounds to, to um, you know, and then you incorporate your falconry into it and then you're chasing big game with draughts. And so what don't you do? Um, sled pull, weight pull. <laughs> okay. About it, really. Um, yeah. We did, like, we did, we got, I'm a certified police canine instructor. So I've done narc, cadaver, bomb, man trailing. Um, I've done sidehounds for jackrabbits, sidehounds for coyotes, sidehounds in conjunction with falconry, falconry, uh, bite dogs, competitive bite dogs. Um, um, and of course, competitive obedience and everything that goes along with that. Uh, terrier work, earth digging, barn busting, uh, pointer dogs, gun dogs, as in retrieving, um, big game hounds, a bear, lion, bobcat. Um, I, I think I'm missing some stuff, but that's you're about, doing, you're about doing what we have going right now, at least. Yeah. Those are the things we're doing now. Right. Yeah, and when I started when I started talking to you, I was like, 
how are we going to condense this into one episode? So <laughs> I'm trying to trying to convince you to to uh, do multiple episodes here, but uh, I, I really want to I I really want to drill down onto a, a, that breed of dog that that drew me uh, drew my attention to you, and that was is with the drops. So explain to us first. Let's just start off with the breed and what that breed is, and I've got some questions about it and. But can you give us some history on the on and pronounce the name properly? Because I'm not. I promise. <laughs> like like most things, I'm a Yag Terrier guy. Before I was a Drothar guy, and they they have the same kind of thing with the names. They have what the yeah you know the, the originating country calls it. What kind of I don't know. The, Hillbillies like the, me call it. Well, there's an in between. There's the folks that are Americanized but want to call it something close to what the originating country calls it. And then there's yeah. the, the hillbilly terminology. And like with Yags, it goes from Jags to Yags, like kind of like Jägermeister Yags is what they, you know, yeah. in between. And then the actual originating co country calls it a Yacht Terrier. Um, well, with the, the Drots, it's a, a Drot Tar. There's like an extra T in there that a lot we yeah. drop as Americans, you know, but there's a Drotar and I'm, there's some accent that goes along with it. So I might not even be hitting that just perfect, but that is the closest. And then Drothar is what a lot of folks call it. And then uh, going more hillbilly would be Drothar. So they're adding another thing in there, And but you should call them Drots, I guess, or DD, it works <laughs> whenever you're typing it, you know, but that's, that's how you say the name. And, hey, uh, we're proud. We're proud of we're proud of hillbillies back here. So that's I, not a time. slide that's, against. Yeah, that's yeah. where that's yeah that's that's me too. So um, <laughs> depending on what company I'm with, I may bleed into one of those various titles. You know, one of the various names depending on what I'm talking. About. But I call them Drothars, Drothars. Um, yeah, but they're uh, they're really neat. Um, they're a breed, kind of like a combination breed. Um, they were put together with four different dogs originally, I believe in the early 1900s in Germany, of course, to supposed to be a dog that can perform everywhere, you know, in the, in the forest, in the field and, and water and just cover all the bases in Germany. Um, and uh, they put, what was it, the, the pointing Griffon, the pulley pointer, um, a Deutsch Kurtzar, which is short hair. So a German short mm -hmm. hair, just a, their version. Um, and then uh, a, I'm going to, mangle this a stickle hair and i i don't think i'm not entirely is certain it stickle? That breed. is it stickle or is it stickle there, there you go that's uh, <laughs> uh i could get my point across on that breed i don't know if you i can say it, it. perfect it. but i get my point across but those four breeds originally made it up you know in the um to kind of be an all-encompassing you know versatile so type breed Go through it again, because I I, I might have missed. Was there a scent hound in there somewhere? Go. go That's what that the stickle again. hair is. Um, okay. Stickle, you know, hair is. I um, it was like a long-haired hound. Uh, you know, like if you research it, that's what it's considered as a, as a hound. And I don't believe it's still like a dominant breed anymore. It's kind of maybe watered away. Maybe it got absorbed up into the drots. Uh -huh. You know, um, but it, that was one of the originating breeds back in the early 1900s. Um, and then the other three are uh, various forms of, you know, pointing uh, breed, um, mm -hmm. short and or long hair. Um, and uh, they actually go into that a lot if you really, you know, drill down into it. Because it is a, essentially it started as a cross like all pure breeds. And now they're now they're very 
proud of it, of it being a pure breed and don't like the cross ever, you know, but originally it was a cross. And if you drill down into the pedigrees or the Amantafel, the way they say it, um, they'll have mother lines, you know, to like basically where this breeds start mainly, you know, oh, this dog's mother, mother lines, the Kurtzar, this one's the um, Griffon or Pooley Pointer. And, you know, it kind of, so if you get any kind of throwback or something like that, or at least kind of what, where some of the more dominant traits come from. Um, but that's originally okay, so where it came from was those four, the German short hair, um, which is Deutsch Kurtzar, is what they call it. And then the uh, Pointing Griffon, the Pulley Pointer, and then the Stickle hair. Um, and then that's okay. what they started with. Um, at least the more dominant ones I could, there might be some others that were dabbled in there a little bit, but those are the main ones that I know of. And, uh, and, and so now we'll we got what we got here, but it's a breed based around the testing system, you know, which is, okay. it's, it's well, pros hang, and hang on to that thought, hang on to that <laughs> thought. And, and I want to talk about that mother line, um, topic that you brought up. Mm -hmm. So within the draw hard breed, then you can go back and look at the mother line and find out if it was heavier in bird hunting or if it was heavier on scent work or, or what, and then, and then narrow your search down within the breed. Is that what you were saying? You, you can, um, it, it's, uh, I like nose. That's the most important to me. I can force fetch an iguana if I want to, you know, like, so I could definitely force fetch any kind of dog that has any kind of drive. Yeah. Um, so the nose, that's the thing that you, you can develop it, but you can't train it. If it's not there, you're not going to work with it. So um, they're, uh -huh. they're fetching, even though these draughts are they're really natural fetchers. I mean, it's it's incredible how much they like to specifically deliver. You can almost see them smile when they put something in your hand. Um, uh, but uh, the most important thing to me is searching and nose, you know, and uh, everybody yeah. has their own opinions on what, you know, but I think, in my opinion, the Kurtz are the short hair. A specific blend of that um, has contributed a lot of nose, a lot of hunt, big running, very, very busy. And uh, uh, and so that's that's what's most important to me now. Nowadays, we're so far from that, you know, it, it can kind of uh -huh. uh, I don't think it weighs in as much as it is. It used to, you know, just like a lot of dogs now they're they're It's supposed to be a full package, but there are some lines that. OK, they point well. But man, there's some of the, every time they go to the trials, they're, you know, the, the dogs just take the retrieving really, really well. Or this one points outstanding, but, you know, he can track and always meets the standard on tracking. But, you know, this dog is just, you can, you know, throw a stick in the air and you're going to, it's going to, it's going to turn into a pointing dog, you know? So it, that's right. kind of some of the stuff you look for. So I think nowadays you're mainly looking for the breeder, the yard and, and their reputation for what they produce but that is another tool the mother line aspect of it is mm -hmm. it is another tool to kind of find out like okay well where did this get started you know like where, where where are we coming from all the way back you know so that's just well the the traditional uh, american hound breeder breeds have and hunters have done the same thing you know you look at the ongoing debate big game bread versus coon hound bread type mm -hmm. dogs and and a lot of people think that and feel and believe, I mean, they believe, and I, I, I can't discount all of it, but a dog that, or a puppy that comes from a long line of, uh, dogs that were specifically bred to catch bear are going to make better bear dogs and they will coon dogs. Um, so absolutely. That's what I was, 
that's what I was curious about the the draughts, whether or not you could trace that back and find our equivalent to big grain, big game bread or dry ground bread or coon dog bread or 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 if you could do that within the droughts as well. Kind of. Now, like I love the way the Americans have produced a, you know, like some of our, you know, hound dog, our coon hounds and our dry land, big game dogs. I'll argue with anybody on the planet that we have some of the best noses on, on earth, you know? Um, but we've done that through, you know, houndsmen's meticulous breeding and commitment to only breeding the best and not just being in love with old copper and breeding copper because, you know, it makes me <laughs> happy, but picking the best and going to the best and going to the best. So it's produced our, our hounds and we have amazing hounds that I'd put on in competition with any country on the planet. But um, one of the things that it can show that because if it's been a, like a deer dog, for example, I can comment on exactly what you said. I tried to run coyotes with deer dogs back in Louisiana and uh, um, I, that, that was one of the few states that you can still run deer with, you know, mm -hmm. uh, running hounds. Right. And uh, I did it. I succeeded at it. But I mean, I was always trying to focus on this, work on this. And the whole time I got them interested, I was doing different uh, techniques to try and build prey towards that odor, you know, and like um, using it as a stimulus to work. And they they did it. They did well at it. And then there was one day I shot a deer. You know, it was like deer season and they're all over the place in Louisiana. So, I mean, I, I killed an antlerless and had it in the back of my truck and all these pups that I've been like struggling to get to chase the coyotes. And they, they, again, they were doing it. We were having success when uh -huh. they smelled the deer, they went nuts. Like I had like, they just deer was in their DNA. They were slobbering at the mouth. They didn't even know what to do with the odor. They started foaming up and screaming at the back of my truck. And I had, and what I did is I had a coyote drag. I had, Freshly killed a coyote and drug it and had some, you know, more experienced dogs and some younger pups. And I was trying to have the younger pups work with the finished dogs to do it. And those pups smelled the deer and that's all they wanted. And they were crazy for it. So it's, it's in there. I don't, you can't, personally, I can't quite put my finger on it, but it's in their DNA. Certain prey species mm -hmm. are in their DNA. And I, I, I'd be a fool if I said it, I knew what it was. I got some assumptions. I don't even know if I want to talk about them right now because they're, unrefined <laughs> but it's a fact it is that is a fact i have seen it loud and clear where i've been struggling for weeks and and making success only to have them smell a dead deer and absolutely lose their mind you know so um but with the that's draughts, amazing i guess i got to talking on that but with the draughts no that's good testing has hammered them in so much so you do get i mean i don't want to misspeak here you do get some lines that you know, like, hey, they do everything well, but they're really good at the tracking or they do everything well, but they're really good at the. Uh -huh. But they, it, it kind of has eliminated some of the, you know, like if you look at it in a wheat field, there's some very few short and tall strands of wheat. They've all been cropped off, mm -hmm. you know, and over oh, the droughts, that's mainly one of the reasons we go there is because you're pretty, they have a type and you're pretty much going to get what you're, you're, you're after there. So there isn't as much variation, but it is still there a little bit. Is is the number of droughts in the United States or worldwide big enough, or is the gene is the gene pool big enough to be selective? If I if I wanted to uh, be, do blood tracking, and we'll talk about some of the different issues or some of the different uses, but uh, if I had a specific use, is the gene pool big enough that I can select a line from from the breed to fit that need? Oh. 
Absolutely. And that's one of the cool parts of the testing system. You can't talk about the draw tires without talking about the testing system. And I know you got some questions for Let, later. Let's just dive into it now. That, let's just get it out of the way. <laughs> because of the testing system, they're graded on their nose, their search, their point. They're, they're like, they break it down. There's a big score sheet. And you know that you can, if you do good on this, you get a multiplier and adds more points. And, and it, very complicated, but very accurate. And I love the product that it produces. You know, um, I have some things that I don't totally like about it, but the finished product that comes from it is undeniable. So just because I may have some aspects of it that I might temporarily get in the way of me being a hunter, you know, if I want to commit to the testing system, at the end of the day, if you do them, your dog is going to be better. And the product that comes out of the testing and all the things that go into it, it's undeniable. It's, it's, it's an incredible product that they make. Um, but um, because of the testing system, you can see, all right, how this dog score on nose on this date? How did it score on mm -hmm. nose on this date? Did it point? All right. It was, you know, where did they do the trial? How did they perform on the rabbit track? You know, I got a young age before they're a year old, really. They have to perform the first test and it's a, a track, a, a cottontail or a jackrabbit track, live hunting situation where the judges are there and there's like, 15 people or so all walking with their dogs out in the field. And there's one guy on deck and, Oh, there's a rabbit. The judge sees it, marks the track that he went and they call over person a with his dog and they put him on the track. And then the dog's graded on how he pursues that And out here in the West when half the tracking is on a rock, you know, I mean, that's, that's, right. it's kind of complicated. And so you could say, all right, this dog did extremely well in a hay field up in Maine, or this dog did extremely well on a bunch of rocks out in, a canyon somewhere and and be, but then you can say all right well i don't really like the pointing here so you could look at all these test papers and and see like heck you know out of out of 10 points you get one through 10 and then you can actually get 11 or a 12 in these different sections of the testing um but if you um you have to do better than average like if it's the rabbit track you can get you know you can run the track and the dog can run it perfect and get a 10 points you know but in order to get 11 or 12 that rabbit would have to cross back and forth through bob wire. So the dog's following the track has to cross bob wire, cross back, cross back, and then run across mm -hmm. the road. You know, these things that we all know are more difficult, but you can look back and say, hey, for 12 generations, every breeding parent on this line has got an 11 on track. You know, let's, or, let's peel it back. Let's, let's boil it down a little bit more. Let's talk I, about the individual categories that a, a draught has to be certified in. Also, we'll talk about how the what the scoring system is, and uh, ultimately, I want to get to why in the world you picked a draught. Start. <laughs> it's a funny big story. game. Let's 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 stay on the scoring system right now. And first off, I want to ask you this question: For registration of a draught, do they have to pass certain tests? One hundred percent, and that's something. Gosh, where to start on that? I have a draught now. Um, that came out of certified approved breeding dry hars, you know. Um, but by the time I got him, he was too old to complete the testing. You can't, they don't just have to pass it. They have to pass it by a certain date, you know, on age. Wow. Basically. Mm -hmm. um, and when I got my dog Haggis, um, he was too old to compete or not compete or even test. Um, um, mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, but he's considered an unpapered, he, he is the breeding. He's got the tattoo in his ear, the microchip, the 
the whole bit. He came from approved drug our parents, but he really isn't, and I, there, there might be some date on there, but to me, he really isn't a Jodhar until he passes the tests. You know, he just came from Jodhars, okay. you know, so. Um, now I have, I've had two pups that I've raised and I've had some other ones come through, you know, um, I've only been fooling with them for, you know, like four or five years or so now, but they have, a um, uh, the, the testing system, um, like for the, uh, the first test is uh, called the VJP. And that's what they have to have, you know, their first test, the puppy test. And that's considered a natural abilities test. Um, the main testing parts are the track. Um, and that's here in the States, we use hair or a jackrabbit. And I think that you can use cocktail mm-hmm. as well, like East on the East coast. Um, and then they're drained on that track. And that's, that's a big one. And then the nose use of nose. Now they use that. They check that when the dog's just searching out in an empty field. That's one of the places they'll take you to a field where there is nothing or that nothing's planted or they've done no preparation and hope that there's mm-hmm. nothing there. And they want to see how the dog works the field, covers the field. And then is he just running blindly or do you see him like run past a bush and like stop for a second and check up? Oh, nope. And then, you know, give it a sniff and move on. And they want to see how they're using the nose while they work the field. And then the third is a search. And we kind of talked about that a minute ago. Do they cover ground? Are they sitting at your feet um, and then pointing. They want to see how they point a natural point. They don't have to hold point in the beginning for a very long time, but they actually have to hit the point and hold it for a bit. And then cooperation. Um, that one's kind of, that one's kind of complicated. I'm still learning about that one. Um, I like my dogs to go, you know, I want mine to get way out yeah. and disappear. Um, and uh, um, at there's a certain threshold there where the dog can get way out, like at seven, 800 yards or, you know, um, where they're so far away, they aren't. It's not as easy to identify whether or not they're cooperating with you. You know, if you make a course correction change mm-hmm. and they're 700 yards out, they might go below a hill and not be able to see you. And you've made a course correction. Now, when he comes back up and looks and sees, he may work back in that direction. And that's cooperation, but it can get a little difficult. But the way the cooperation, the search, and the use of nose, they all tie together. But, um, I got a question about cooperation. Yeah. I got, I got, you've already, you've, I've already got a ton of questions, but I want to ask you about cooperation real quick. So with cooperation is that, are you finding that people within the breed who are striving for that high mark and cooperation are putting more control on the dog, unreasonable control, unnatural controls in order to fit a standard or are they doing it? Or is it truly beneficial for the hunting hunting style of this dog? It all depends how you're going to use them. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. That's probably going to pop up here in a lot of different ways. It all depends on what you like. Um, they can do anything. And, I, and I, I look forward to telling you all the things that I commonly do with Haggis a little later. But um, it really depends on what you like to do, the way you like to hunt. Um, I hunt a lot of Red Rock Chucker out by me. And, um, so we're on really steep inclines and I want him to stay busy. Um, and I like a dog that ranges, you know, if I'm ever out, let's just say trying to get jackrabbits up for my Falcon, I want him out there. And then as soon as he gets it up, Mm -hmm. he starts screaming and draws my attention and the bird's attention and my sighthounds that help press it further. Um, and that's important. I want him out there finding him. And when you find it, start talking, start barking really loud. And here comes the cavalry. And then on the red rock hills, I'd like him. I'd like him to be out far too, but it's really hard. It's like more aggressive 
than the surface of Mars. You know, everything's like a basketball sized <laughs> boulder that slides out from under you. So like if you have your dog out 500 yards there, I mean, you're really doing something. He's either running blind, you know, or he's really, really working hard. Cause you can't just mm-hmm. run the top of the hill. You got to, you know, you got to get up and down and, and then explore the odors that they come in contact with, you know? Um, but then if somebody's hunting grouse in the, in the woods, they might want them closer and maybe super important right. to them, you know, and it, it all depends on what you, what you want. And then you do see that in some of these tests. Like I like a rangy dog. I like a dog to get out there. Um, so I may take more points on search, for example, and it's not always this way. I am not a judge, you know? Um, but yeah, my experience with the dogs I've done, they have performed better with their search. They've gotten higher points in search. And then I might lose a point or something with cooperation. If I make a course correction and he doesn't adjust mm-hmm. immediately, you know? Um, right. So, so they they do, they do affect their dogs. Now the first test is supposed to be a natural abilities test. So without a lot of modification to the dog's natural abilities, but in order to get them ready for that test, you have to hunt them. You have to train them. And mm-hmm. they do start picking up on the way their handler wants them to perform and adjust fire from there, you know? And, um, so, and yeah, the, dog is, the dog is capable of adjusting based on different circumstances or because obviously even a 60 yard flush in the grouse woods is going to be worthless to most hunters. You know, exactly. you don't, you don't pick up those, you don't pick up those birds. You're going to be ineffective as a hunter. If you get sometimes even a 30 yard flush uh, in mm-hmm. grouse woods, cause it's so thick. But um, so the testing part, and this is going to, this is going to be a question that uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hold back on the questions on this. So do we find that people are training to a standard in the drought hard breed because they want titles or are we finding that people are breeding hunting dog first that they can put titles on it's or sort of certifications, I should say. Yeah. The, the first there's, there's a, there's a break in there. Um, as far as I can tell for now, like in order to be a drought hard, they have to pass, uh, a number of tests, you know, there's the, mm-hmm. you know, the spring test, the puppy test and, or, well, don't let me get mixed up there. There's a first test and then a second test. There's a VJP and a J think of J is junior. Cause there's some acronyms here that can get complicated. So VJP, the J is junior, you know, so that's the first one. And then there's the HCP, mm-hmm. um, which is a little more advanced, you know, that's the following season. Um, in the fall, actually. So the puppy test will be in the spring and the HZP will be in the fall. And then um, they have like confirmation and a few other tests that they have to go through to, to be a drop, you know, to, and then at that point they can become breed worthy. Um, I'm trying to get ready for like uh, uh, what I would call the drought hard Super Bowl is the arm brewster. And that's like yeah. where you don't have nine year old dogs or eight year old perfect per- perfection dogs training against you know, first year dogs or something. It's where they do the HZP across the nation Mm -hmm. and everybody's competing with a similar age dog that has about the same amount of experience. And in order to do that, I had to do, you know, x-rays and they're like an OFA, just a little more complicated. And, and they're, they count their teeth and look at the pigment of their eyes and their skin. And they they do a lot, you know, and it's not just that one's pretty, you know, or, you know, kind of like how some of the show breeders in, but it's a, functioning confirmation you know um we, mm-hmm. we don't want them to have bad teeth we don't want them to have inferior pigment here or there or the coarseness of the hair you know which is makes great for 
like my dog can get super muddy and I bring them home. I just throw them in the box. The mud dries. I get them out of the box when I get home. I kind of just aggressively beat him with my hand, you know, and knock all that mud off. Yeah. And he comes in the house and he's fine yeah. because that wiry course, it's like a wire brush. It, all the dirt just kind of falls off of him. Um, I've noticed I mean, I the same thing about like, what's that? I said, I've noticed the same thing about this young. He's, he's got a broken coat. He's got a rough coat on him. Yeah. And, and, um, it's like he never gets dirty. It's the craziest thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't you get, get into down the into the skin. Yeah, you get into the cockaburs too, just like every other breed. You know, so I'm not saying they're it's bulletproof, but uh, the dirt comes yeah, off. Yeah, but really even easy. that that even the burrs. You know, I get a burr on uh, in a Labrador or a Golden Retriever with all that downy hair. It just seems to mat around it. And with mm -hmm. these with these terriers, man, a quick comb you can pick a lot of them out just effortlessly with your hand or a quick comb and boom it's gone yeah so whatever it hair similar to, to that yep that's right and it's really coarse yeah. you know is, is uh what I, yeah. what I like you know um and if you do get a burr in there so, you just get a, a wire pick and rip it out you know it's you're not going to get a burr there again you know that down whatever down they did have <laughs> there is gone you know so it's i just i right. just tear them out you know and the dog doesn't care that's yeah. the cool thing you can strip them they're a breed that made to be stripped so you like sometimes mm -hmm. haggis his hair will get out of hand and i'm like all right now is the time to do it and i go out to the deck and i just i just start ripping it out you know and he loves it he'll stand there he'll push back into it and i'm just with fistfuls yeah. just grabbing hair and tearing it out you know and somebody to watch it the first time's like oh my god what are you doing to the dog like, he likes it it's they they are not bothered by it you know and it you can't they're, do they're it bred anymore. to work yeah yeah, they're, they're bred to do dirty work. Um, so my experience is the reason I asked you that question about, you know, are we breeding for function or are we breeding to pass tests is because uh, I see a lot of dog groupies that want to be able to say, oh, I've got a this breed of dog and it's passed these certifications. Like I'll, I'll give you an example with, with police canine tracking. Napwata. Yeah. Um, I trained with a lot of civilians that had Napwata dogs that um, they, were, they were trying to achieve their Napwata and they were civilian tracking dogs. And it was like they were more out there for the Facebook likes and everything rather than having an actual working dog. And a lot of these dogs um, couldn't run a track, and <laughs> but they could they could pass a test. You know, they could pass the 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 test with four turns and a and a lose and you know all that, but they working dog type stuff, I wasn't I was not impressed. And I, well, is that is that similar? Because Americans are extremely into fads. Yeah. Oh, well, I can I I probably started talking. I love to talk about dogs. I'll, I put that disclaimer out there, so I can get a little That's carried why you're away and get podcast, off on a tangent. And I'm not looking back. I, I get too super excited. And I'm going <laughs> to start talking. So that might happen. You might have to pull me back. I realize now that I didn't complete the the, the answer to that question. Um, but they uh, uh, they have both parts within the 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 draw hard testing system, right? And that's what I was trying to get to in the beginning. They have the the puppy test, you know, the VJP, the HCP, the confirmation, and some some other tests. And okay, now you're a draw hard. Now you can breed. And then they have a VGP. Yeah. So now it's not J for junior. Now it's G for good. At that point, he should be a good dog. He's passed all the tests to become a Drothar. Um, And then at that point, 
man, they go into everything, you know, like, they, like they're graded in, in like one uh, scenario where it's like a, a, a large set number of acres and they have like however many judges out there and in a prescribed amount of time, that dog has to be seen by all the judges, has to cover that much ground. So you get like a lighter dog that can, can run, you know, and is really fast mm-hmm. and active. And then they like, and I'm, I'm not saying they do this to offset it, but that's what I think is unique about it is because then they'll, they'll do something called like the fox in a box where it's the test where they'll make this like earth looking box, essentially. I mean, mm-hmm. you can basically take a three foot cube and cut the top off and throw it out there. And that would more or less be what it's like. Um, but the dog has to go be sent from a distance, has to run all the way down there, jump up and over into this like three foot cube. In there, he'll find like a seven to 10 pound fox. Now, if the fox doesn't weigh that much, they add lead shot or whatever, but there's a weight, a standardized weight that they have to perform. And then they pick this seven pound, seven to 10 pound fox up and they jump back out of the box and retrieve it all to the handler. And you can imagine a dog with a 10 pound weight in their mouth, jumping three feet down, they're gonna slam down on the ground. It's gonna jar their mouth. And if the dog sets it down and just takes a quick regrip, he's disqualified, he failed. You know, like he has to be able to jump out comfortably. And I think that's the main thing. He has to be able to run down there, jump in there, pick up this seven to 10 pound weight and jump out comfortably enough to not have to readjust after jumping down with this heavy weight in his mouth and then run back. So, so now you can't just have these tiny little scrawny dogs. They have to be strong enough to deal with delivering this, you know, this, this heavy package comfortably. He can't set it down, pick it up, run a hundred yards, set it down, pick it up. No, he has to trot it all the way back and haggis can retrieve 30 to 40 pound coyotes it's hilarious you know um, no like kid. wound one he'll he'll bring them back he'll he'll run out there finish it off pick it up and bring it all the way back to the truck you know um and it's it's a it's a he's retrieving a dog that's similar to sizes of some of our other bird dogs you know <laughs> um but anyway my point is is you the the early tests to answer your question the early tests are your natural ability tests and these tests are designed to you know, prove which lines of dogs have the correct amount of, of hunt in this aspect. And can they point? Yes, they have a functioning hunt, a point where they're too young to be able to develop, have that developed to, you know, to an extreme level. And then the HCP is all about taking it. It's, it's still a natural abilities test, but in my opinion, it's more centered around um, uh, retrieving wounded game. So it'll be, a point mm-hmm. and then a shot and then a retrieve back to the handler. And then like a 900 foot track with a, like, let's say a, a rabbit where they have like these 45 degree turns and then pick it up and then retrieve it back to the handler. And if the dog sets it down halfway, he fails. If he takes it to the judge that's out there at the target, he fails. You know, like it, there's all these things and those kind of prove natural ability. It, it, you really can't train for them too much. You know, like any training I'm yeah. going to do to make my dog good at tracking a jackrabbit is real world training. It's not, they don't go out there and let a jackrabbit go and then put your dog on it. You walk around until you get a wild flush and then your yeah. dog is graded on that. So the, in that aspect, it's kind of hard to just get a title. You know, the dog has to point. The dog has to search the field really well. The dog has to track, legitimately track, uh, you know, a furred game. And mm-hmm. it's hard to cheat through that. And then, then when you have some of the retrieving in the HCP, I put a force fetch on my dogs before they compete in the HCP. And at that point, you're seeing a little bit more of the training, but at that point, they want the pointing to be longer, the tracks to be more committed, uh, just a little more focused of a dog, and then the confirmation. Then after that, then you get into the VGP, and that's where you can kind of see, 
you know, maybe some people hunt for some more titles there, you know, so you do get both sides of it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was just curious because, you know, I, I'm not going to lie when, when I've heard of droughts for a number of years, my whole mm-hmm. adult life, probably, um, probably, but, but surrounding that there seems to be two, a lot of different camps around or op- opinions. Well, there's basically two camps. So you've got this camp of people that say, they're glorified German wire hair pointers, mm. uh, you know, and then you get other people. It's like, no, they're drots. You know, they're not, mm-hmm. they're not German wire hair pointers. So I'm glad you answered it like that and, and covered that, but okay. So you've already told us that you can train a lizard to retrieve. <laughs> and um, so this is what I want to get into. Uh, um, knowing all of that about the drots. And knowing that you're a professional trainer, you choose to incorporate the draught into hunting big game with your hounds that you have as well. Yep. Do it. So is that why or why? Why there? What is it about the draught that makes you that you're like? I'm gonna throw this thing out with some some hound dog breeds and and <laughs> see if it'll tree lions and catch bears. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess in order to answer that question, I have to start where it came from. I was in right. the south, southeast hunting and catching pigs. And that was that was my party. And I did a bunch of other stuff as well. You know, I always have entirely too many irons in the fire, which is why I have no hair on my head. Um, but uh, you're uh, a good company. Yeah, there you go. Awesome. Go team. Ball together, <laughs> you know, uh, they uh, uh, I was having a blast with it. I was digging in the, in the, with the dirt with the yags and I was. I was catching pigs with them and I was fleshing rabbits from my falcons and hawks and stuff. And I was just having a great time. And then I wanted to move out West to improve just um, some of my falconry, the styles of falconry and hunting that I wanted to do. I think there's amazing hunting back on the East coast. It's just, what do you like? And what I wanted to do was out here. So I, I came out mm-hmm. here and specifically where I live, there isn't as much earth game, you know? So I had this other versatile breed, the egg terriers and, they can do a lot of things, you know, um, they're very versatile dogs. I, I absolutely love them, but I didn't have as much earthwork as I had back on the East coast and I had no pigs mm-hmm. and I had developed, I, you know, I took the lines of some of the people that came before me and added my little flavor to it. And I had some, um, Yag terriers that were a little bit bigger than the standard that were great at catching pigs. I mean, they, they were, they move a track really fast and then they were going to try and catch it if they got there, you know, like, and, yeah. and, and I had a lot of, I had a lot of luck with them. But then when I got out here, I don't have anything to dig anymore. And they're trying to catch bear and lion and, and doing it. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying like they're tough enough to catch a lion. I'm, I'm not. Any dog that grabs a hold of a lion and wants to stay there is going to wish he hadn't, you know, like an right. adult Tom or something. It's, they're not going to they're not going to come away from that. Right. And Missy, one of my um, foundation dogs there, um, uh, did that on a number of occasions and she got her. I'm just happy she was with us. She's still with us after the first time it happened. And then uh, just as soon as I got her healed up, you know, a, 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 a young Tom treed low and she jumped up there and grabbed a hold of him too. And just right back to the vets, you know? Um, yeah. And, and so I was having all these trouble with the, the breeds I was looking for and uh, working with these lines that I climbed to the top and I, prefer, I bred exactly what I wanted. And now it's not working because I'm in a new area. So then I had a buddy that had haggis, had a drought hard that was young. And it was just a little bit too much dog for him. I mean, he's an amazing trainer, but it was more than he needed. The dog was running huge, big, and 
he wanted something a little a little closer, not not quite mm-hmm. as rangy. So he's like, hey, you want it? I paid a lot of money for it, but you could have it for 600 bucks. I was like, I've been wanting to try one of these things, kind of like what you were talking about. Like, I've heard a lot yeah. about them. I hear they're, they've, I've heard people refer to them as like a 70 pound Yag Terry. And I'm like, shut up. It is, it is not. <laughs> don't, don't, you don't get to just take that, you know? And uh, so I got them for 600 bucks and we kind of butted heads a little bit in the beginning. And then we started doing everything. And there was, I was having trouble finding stuff he couldn't do. One of my problems with my Yag Terriers. Because you know how hounds can be at a at a bear tree or a lion tree. They're just going crazy. You got some tearing right. roots up. You got others jumping. You got some that have learned they don't like to be bumped and they get back a little bit. You get all that. And then when you have a 15-pound Yag Terrier I know run 10 feet say. up and then fall backwards like they do, you know, and then fall on their black and it's a little black thing. They're wondering like, what? Yeah. Even if you're there, things can go bad in a half second. You know, with a bunch I'm of 70-pound tree hounds that are seeing red at the bottom of a tree, and they think something just fell out of it. You know, and one of the things that one of the things that I found this week, I took this is the first yag I've ever had, and uh, wasn't sure how I was going to incorporate this. So we went, we were coon hunting one night, and the yag was with me. And when I got there, he didn't understand the game was up in the top of the tree. He thought the game was to wrestle and you know chew on dogs at the bottom of the tree <laughs> right you know because you got you got you got tree dogs that are treed and all of a sudden he, i mean that trips the trigger and he's like whoa what's going on here and, you know and so he's making his rounds at the tree he wasn't being aggressive he was just like grabbing and grabbing and grabbing what, what do, do i do with all this energy I, I need to exactly what do i do with it you know so now i'm you know now i figured out okay we're gonna lead him into the tree tie him back, let him see what's going on and introduce him that way is a huge mistake I made. And I'm lucky that it didn't turn into a, a dog fight at the base of the tree, really. Mm-hmm. And he's only, he's only seven months old. Uh, so, so getting back to the draught, or you, you went to, you got this draught and do you, did you have hounds also? Oh yeah. I, deal? Yeah. I've been running bear and lion, you know, with, with my hounds um, for a while beforehand and i would i was bringing my yag terriers i was treating plenty of bear in line with my yags and okay. uh you know it was my only issues when i got into it was strange dogs i'd had me and a few of my other hunt, hunting buddies i'm sure you, you know you probably hunt the same with them you know you got a few uh-huh. people you hunting all right you know you know billy bob the dog and old fred over there they had a little bit of issues with the yag in the beginning but now they know he's part of the team they're buddies they'll honor his bark <laughs> and, you know then you, you as long as you're not hunting with a whole pack of new guys with their dogs never you know, have never seen a little one. I was having a blast with it. Don't get me wrong; they're they're great dogs. I treat plenty of bear and yeah. land with yag terriers, and some with only yag terriers. You know, um, but uh, I had already had tree hounds. You know, when I got the first draught, and then I started taking them, and he took he took right to it. He kind of trees like a jackhammer. It's not pretty. It kind of sounds like I'm banging a pot and a pan together. You know. But just pop, yeah. pop, 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 pop. You could just set a metronome to it. It's he's gonna keep barking like that till he falls over. Um, and I took him to the first tree, kind of like what you're saying. I just let him in on leash and then tied him back and let him kind of see. It. And he fell right into it. And I just did that like two times. And then I started turning him loose with the hounds. And and then all of a sudden I was like, hold on, is, he's putting his nose down on my. That was my starting dog. I just used my starting dog to, to start that track. And then I turned loose of the group. You know, uh-huh. after my two starting start track starters got it going. And then, okay, I'm going to turn the rest of the pack, you know, the two puppies, the older dog, you know, this other 
dog that's really good at shutting them down. You know, once it gets going, I turn them all loose and I run him to it and they all run in. And, you know, some of the better nose dogs are hitting right where the track started, started that old track on dirt, you know, on sand. And then he ran over and started barking at it. You know, I was like, whoa, is that, am I really seeing what I just started? And I was still, you know, I thought he was just going to be a novelty item out there, but right. oh, he was putting his nose down. He was, you know, nose down barking on tracks, you know, <laughs> and uh, treeing like a jackhammer and, and always being there at the tree. And then I still don't use him so much as it as my track starter just because like i got american dryland hounds you know like right. that's that's the thing but i have started him i have been out doing something else saw a, a fresh track and thrown him down on him. he's he's treated it's it's, it's mm-hmm. happening he's done that in front of numerous people these aren't just hearsay stories i have people that have come out and seen it you know well you came people. highly recommended as a guest so yeah i'll verify. Um, i think a lot of people you know, would like to pretend that, oh yeah, mine, you know, mine just does it. They've never done it. No, this it's work just like hounds, you know, it, you gotta, mm-hmm. you gotta teach them, but they can do it. And uh, yeah. so I just started taking him just cause he was my buddy. We were doing, you know, I was doing all kinds of stuff with him and that's why we'll get to that later. That's why I love the drops is it's almost like mm-hmm. a hunting buddy. I'll get up in the morning and I'll look at Haggis or one of my other dogs. I'm like, what are we going to do today, bud? You want to go, Oh, you want to go run the tree hounds in the morning and then we can go out with some of the pointers and point a chucker, you know, and then, and then we'll go over with Bob and his Labrador and, you know, we'll see if you can beat them to retrieving the more ducks than he does. And, and then after that, let's go try and kill a badger or whatever, you know, like he's like my hunting buddy, you know, that's what's so cool about him, you know, yeah. but that's what I thought it was. But then he started taking to it just like we do with the hounds. You know, there's things we do to develop the traits. And then as they progress, they kind of learn on the job watching the other hounds. They, they learn most of what they do a mile away from us, you know, mm-hmm. um, or finish it, you know, like they don't learn the basics, right. but they, they really become good dogs out there on their own. Um, and he mm-hmm. was doing the same thing. Um, so, so what are some of the biggest differences you've seen, uh, you know, comparing a drought and a hound side by side, what are some of the personality differences and just some of the basic, you know, the biggest differences you've seen? Houndsman XP is very proud of our partnership with the organization Freedom Hunters. Freedom Hunters is a nonprofit organization that takes America's veterans hunting from field to field, from the battlefield to a field near you when you volunteer your time to take America's warriors hunting with you and your hounds. It's easy. Go to houndsmanxp.com, click on the partnership tab, and it will take you to Freedom Hunters. You can go direct to their website to make donations at freedomhunters.org. Support America's heroes. Let's pay it back. Visit Freedom Hunters at freedomhunters.org or go to houndsmanxp.com and you can find them on our website from field to field. It is hot outside. H-O-T, hot. I'm tired of it. I know you're tired of it. We're all waiting on winter to get here. It can't get here fast enough, but we are still out here running these hounds. And dehydration and heat exhaustion, heat casualty, is the number one risk for your hound. Check out Dogs Are Hydrated at dogsartree.com and pick up a hydration kit for your hounds today. This is scientific back. You can, you can check it all out on the Dogs Are Tree website. 
dogsartree.com. Enter that promo code HXP, 20% off at checkout, and you're going to get 20% off your order. If you join us over on Patreon, you can find that information at, at houndsmanxp.com on how to support this show. You'll get a deeper discount. Guys, dogs are hydrated. will protect your hounds in this hot weather. Check them out. Throw in a hat while you're there, too. Now let's get back to the show. Okay. that's I, I kind of knew that one was going to come. And it's it's there's a lot of ways to go with that. Um, yeah. uh, a lot of times our, our really good hounds uh, are, are independent, self-sufficient. You know, take them, put them relatively over a track. It's autopilot. They're going to do it, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, that's, that's great. That's amazing. You know? Um, and with the draughts, they can work independently. You know, like some of these tracks, like one of the tracks in the VJP is a 40 hour blood trail where they, they'll, they'll use eight ounces of blood and do like a, I think it's like a 900 meter track, you know, with as many turns and twists and 180s and all that stuff. And they just have eight ounces to go over this 900 meters. And they trickle it out on a 40 hour old and they have to, they, they, they do that. You know, you can get dogs with that certification. So they have the nose it, it's there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but uh, they can also do the other stuff. Like if you drop something, some of them are going to pick it up and try and put it right back in your hand. They just, they need to give you stuff. <laughs> um, uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, and because of that, they work with you really well so they can kind of do both i'm not going to go force fetching my hounds i'm not you know they aren't going to do competitive obedience and search and find blind retrieves for ducks that i didn't you know like so there's 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 differences you know and that makes the hounds specialists and and better single-minded they're going to do it you know whereas with them they kind of they work with you they hunt for you and they can hunt for themselves too um there's there's some hound dogs that i've seen catch you know, 250 pound pigs, just like a bulldog, you know, like I've seen some mm-hmm. hounds that are every bit as hard as a pit bull, you know, like right. they're really tough ones out there. And then I've seen some that back up that bay a bear from like a hundred feet back, you know, and I've mm-hmm. seen some that bay from a, so I mean, you get a, you get a variety, you know, so, but on the whole, I would say that uh, draughts are harder. They're, they're grittier, you know, um, like as in the aspect of I'm going to grab this and I'm going to kill it, you know, Whereas I was going to ask, that was my next question. The hounds are like, I'm never going to quit. You know, a hound will, you know, may, they may lose two feet and they're still going to be barking at it. They're never going to quit, but they aren't in their head. Like I'm going to grab this thing and shake the fur off of it. You know, they're, I'm going right. to bay the life out of this animal. You know, I guess basically mm-hmm. like, you know, it's so goals are a little bit different, you know? Um, but I would say on a whole, the, the, the draughts are a little bit harder. They want, you know, they're, they're wanting to put their mouth on it, you know, not just bark mm-hmm. at it, you know? Um, and that is good and bad, you know? Exactly. So I'm not trying to say they're better because of this. No, they're different because of this, you know, and if right. that's the way you like to hunt or that's what you need in your pack, you know, it, it can kind of help out. Um, so that's about the, the, the hardness there or grit, depending on your vocabulary. Um, I will say that the draughts can do the older, like I said, they've got the 40 hour blood trail, you know, that's a, graded timed event you know so they have mm-hmm. the nose um but a lot of times they're they're trying to run it as fast as they can and, and get up there and catch it you know and and i would say our american dryland hounds you know or any kind of hounds you know are, are they're really good at sitting there and grinding out on that track just stock you know they lose it all right i'm gonna loop back around all right i found it again all right it took another two feet i lost it you know and now i'm backing around and the draughts can do that but the nod definitely goes 
to the to the hound to the hound. Um, uh, whereas so, I can try it out, you know, because because they like to work with their hander a little bit. If if they're like if you're doing a forty hour blood trail, sometimes they're there. They're on like a thirty or forty foot lead, but you're still there. Right. Whereas with yeah a, a lion track, they're you know or a bear track, they're five miles away, and then they they go through this let's say a drainage where it's all boulders, you know, for like a quarter mile, it's just boulders. And he just is having hell getting through that drainage and keeps losing and losing and losing it. I would say the draw is in more inclined to say, I've lost it. I'm going to go find dad, you know, see if I can get some direction, you know, whereas the yeah. hound's like, I don't care where dad is, you know, I, as long as I eat next week sometime, I'm going to stay on this track, you know? <laughs> um, so you get, you get that. Um, uh, I still use my hounds as my, my sure enough track starters. If I get an old, an old track, like a, you know, older than a 24 hour lion track in some sand is pretty difficult, you know, and I'm going to put my hounds on right. it and let them get it sorted out, get that signature, you know, that they're, they're looking for, not just a lion, this lion, I'm tracking this lion. I know what he smells. I know what he ate <laughs> kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then right. I'll turn him loose to it. And he, he'll, he can still do it, but I see that. I, I think they get a little clumsier when they're remote from the handler. You know, if they're like a mile or two from the handler, and they, they're just running into some really hardships, they're more inclined to come back than, than the hounds are. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, once it starts to heat up, I don't know about you, but I have my track starters and I have my track finishers. And I have some that can do all of it, you right. know, and all of them are expected to do it, but they really shine at working that, that you know, that left foot, right foot, 36-hour old line track on rock and sand. And then and then I have my other guys that once this thing gets up, he's going to, he may put 900 yards between him and everything else out there, just burning it down. Yeah. And the draughts do, I find they can pick their nose up because they also wind for the pointing and they can mm -hmm. pick their nose up and really start pushing the track a little bit. And some, I'm not saying he leaves all my hounds behind him because that's, that's not the case. I have like, I have one hound and Bobby and he's just, he's a bolt of lightning once that bear gets up, you know, or the lion gets up and he'll, bonsai jump off the cliff faces and scale down on like a like a monkey but i would put yeah. him as an outlier he is a top performer you know when the tracks get going and and haggis is right there with him you know so the draughts can push the track a little bit faster because they aren't as track dedicated you know but haggis wouldn't have gotten there if it wasn't for the cold and those dogs so they right. i could say that they could work a hot track a little bit faster because out the box that you know they're, they're a little bit a hotter nose type dog you know so mm -hmm. so is one better is what you know they're, they're they're different there um i will say that uh uh both of them take the tracking early on you know this last draught i got um the haggis came from one breeder um four sisters kennel over on the east coast you know and uh amazing dog i absolutely love them and then some of the other dogs i got all came from uh, uh, John Davis at Red Rock Drothars. Um I got into it once I got this. Well, I guess that answers the first question. Once I got Haggis, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Let me find somebody um, to tell me more about these things. And I got a hold of a guy named John Simon on the East Coast, and he filled me in and told me what I was looking at and messing with and what to expect. And then he got me in touch with the breeder over here on the on the West Coast uh, um, or on the you know Western side of the States and uh, with Red Rock, John Davis there. And he's kind of mentored me and you know, the draughts and getting through the testing systems and stuff. And he's, he's got some fine dogs, but I've gotten two from him. One of them was doing great and tragically got hit by a car. Um, and then I got another one. I replaced it from another dog from him. And, uh, 
um, and he's doing fantastic as well. Uh, but they, they, and this last one has got an incredible nose. I would put at up until six yeah. months, I put his nose on par and he worked it like a hound. Um, and then after mm-hmm. that, the hounds really start like the track recognition, the boom hits it, starts screaming and moves it, you know, whereas. So what you're, what you're telling me, what you're telling me is you brought a dog from the East to the dry ground of the Southwest and, and the dog is working out well. That's Haggis. He's, he's fantastic. He rigs from the side by side with the other hounds. Um, if I were to, um, I'm, I'm setting you up here a little bit, Chad. That's fine. I'm, that's I'm, fine. I'm and I, I can, yeah, but, uh, but there's, there's a, there's a, I'm at two, you're, you're, you're shooting at one and I'm, I, I know where you're going, but there's a 0.5 in there as well. <laughs> you know? So like, well, I'll say mine and you say yours we, and I'll say mine again. Um, but the, we, dog, uh, the dog, the dog is doing great, but he'll like, if we have a, the tracks going and then. I showed up, you know, over here and, you know, we were working it before and now I have Haggis. If I dump Haggis, he's not just running to the barking dogs. He'll run in that direction. But when he runs over the track, he'll stop, put his nose down. He'll start voicing Boom, and then he'll behind him. Um, yeah. But what you're, what you're getting at is a dog that came from the East can perform out West. And yes, yes, he can. Um, he did never worked. He did never work um, big game over there all he was doing was retrieving ducks and flushing flushing stuff um but again i believe that comes from the standardized testing they aren't they aren't hounds they aren't single purpose hounds like if you put a draw and there's a lot of people that only hunt ducks with their jaws now they had to pass the test to get all these other stuff they had to prove that they can track they had to prove that they can do this and that and whereas haggis had to you know all of his parents had to prove that they could track to a standard you know, I get that. I get that. But this is, this is, I've had this theory and I've been trying to prove this theory. Okay. And I want to, I want to ask you, yeah, they passed the test, but what is it that makes them be able to come from a different region, come to your region and then transfer, uh, their abilities over? Is it, is it environment? Is it breeding? Is it drive? What is the key to haggis catching stuff? Is what is it? Is it is it because it's not because they pass a test? No, it's because it's no. because what the desire, the drive. You know, one hundred percent, the want to. You know, you can take a pit bull and he can beat some greyhounds in a chase after a rabbit because he wants it more. Now the greyhounds are more physically capable of doing it. But if they don't want to, it doesn't matter if you got a bottle, you know, like a rocket ship tied to your belly. If you don't want it, you're not going to get there. Whereas this little stubby leg bulldog, man, he wants to put his mouth on that rabbit and he can beat the dogs that don't want it as bad, you know, even though he's genetically inferior for that type of work. Um, right. Um, so I would say the want, the drive, um, mm-hmm. the, the mental type, so to speak, uh, is where that comes from. And he, he doesn't have that because he passed the test. He has that because the only dogs that got bred passed the test. The only dogs that ever got bred had that drive. So the, the, the test didn't get, make the drive. The test just proved that the dog had the drive, at least to this minimum standard. So again, think of the, the field of wheat again. You don't have any tall ones. You don't have any short ones. They all have this minimum standard, you know? Right. And it, and it just uh, kind of like that's with cattle breeding, for example people need to focus on and getting rid of all the bad ones rather than keeping everything and buying the really good cows, so to speak, you, right. you know, with the draughts, 
you may lose this perfect pointing dog because he can't retrieve that well. Okay, we're mm-hmm. going to take that hit. But everything else, and after, you know, however many 12, 15, you know, however many generations of all the dogs having this minimum standard, you know, that baseline for all these aspects just slowly crime. So, yes, I do not – I am not saying you could take a dog pass a test with him and now he's a great dog. No. But if you have yeah. 50 generations of dogs that all pass that test, it's it's yeah. going to start to show itself. Now, the test – Again, the test doesn't put the drive in there. The test just crops out the dogs that didn't have the drive, and none of them sneak through and muddy the bloodline, you know? And, well, uh, here's here's my theory. Here's here's a theory that I've been trying to prove, and I'll set this up a little bit. As houndsmen, as people, I think it's just human nature, we get tribalistic about what – we get very anchored in what we believe, and then we become tribalistic, and then we – only verify our our beliefs in our own little echo chambers. So mm-hmm. whether it's a competition coon hunter in the east, a dry ground lion hunter in the west, a side hound, whatever it is, we, yeah. we get these we we get anchored in what our beliefs are and then we fail to move out of that. That's called a paradigm, paradigm paralysis. When you're unable to move out of your own beliefs, even when you're shown that it can it works in another way. So my theory has always been that drive is the key to catching game. And it doesn't matter where they're doing it in the East. They're doing it in Canada. They're doing it in South Africa or the Southwest. And, and I think we, what I have noticed, we even do that with, with the ability to scent. Uh, And we classify, we simplify and we say, well, that's a cold nosed dog or that's a hot nosed dog. And there's more to it than, than that. And I think it's, we just use the term cold nose and hot nose because it's an easy way to uh, describe what we're, what kind of dog we've got, but dogs olfactory senses aren't that much different. If we took and did a scientific study between a boxer and a bloodhound the olfactory senses differences are going to be so small that we would never be able to see it with our, with our eye. You know what I mean? So we have to evaluate Like my boxer has got more drive to catch coons than some hounds I've had. And that's why she goes. And that's why she does. My pit bull will track coons and squirrels and different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not going to be my top catchers, but they've got the drive to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think if you took a hound or a draught or a yog or whatever breed of dog you want and you take it and you raise it in, you expose it to the environment and they under, they've got the drive to catch, they will figure out how to use that nose to do what they need to do. I agree. And I think I agree with that. You know, the drive is that's the the tallest pole in the tent, so to speak. You know, like you got all the, yeah. you got a big tent and there's all these poles. I like that. Up. The, the one, two, that's the big one right in the center. You know, like yes. everything else comes behind that, you know. But like just like you were saying a little a little while ago, um, in my opinion, uh, traits, you know, it's almost like this line of dogs just likes, you know, like with my coyote and deer. You know, my, uh-huh. you know, I was taking deer dogs that had only run deer dogs and now I'm trying to run them on coyote and they, they did it again. They did it. They did it. They didn't <laughs> fail at it, you know, but like you saw it, it was clear as day. You could take a person that really doesn't even know hunting dogs and be like, man, they really like that smell. That's, 
that's different. They were, they kind of like that one, but they really like that. They're acting crazy, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I could think that lines of dogs that have been bred and worked in certain regions have secondary traits that might assist them at hunting in this region or that region. You know, I agree. So is it as simple as a cold nose and hot nose? No. Um, uh, I like one of my best track starters. It, let's just say, Hey Chad, I got this hunt going on out here on the, I want you to come out here, bring your dogs out. You know, we got people that are going to pay for everything and are fly you out here on a private jet. We'll load all your dogs into the thing. <laughs> I would probably take my best track starter and I doubt I'd bring them. You know, like, cause he's going to have that. He's going to be slow. He's going to be slow and methodical. And like, he's probably going to get dusted out on the East coast because he has that. Don't get ahead of yourself. Don't, don't do this. Don't do You know? So I, I don't know. I think there are some traits that can lend to different aspects of it. And, and but uh, for the most part, I, like you said, let me, give, let me drive is it. Let me share a story on that. Cause I have traveled around a lot with, with this pack of hounds that I have here. Mm-hmm. I think, I think when we, when we, we can overload, we can do a sensory overload on these hounds. If you brought, and I've seen it in competition, coon dogs being, being brought from different regions. Uh, you know, for instance, you take a, a coon hound from Oklahoma, uh, you know, semi-arid, it's a lot drier than it is in, in Indiana. That may be a top cooner in Oklahoma, but you bring him to Northern Indiana, Southern Michigan, where there's a coon up every other bush, the scenting conditions are outstanding. There's moisture in the ground. Maybe there's a cornfield, um, and, and all that scent is being held down close to the ground. I've seen them completely, completely melt down in that situation. I've also seen that hound after he's been here for a week or two weeks, adjust to that and turn and and now he's understanding what he is smelling and how to work it and i think that goes back to that drive i'll give you another example we brought bear dogs from the east and went to uh hunting the white mountains in arizona we're driving down the road and uh, got the dogs on the box and and we get just a bump just whoop like man that you know, from my experience, that's not something I'd turn loose on in, mm-hmm. in back here. You know, I'm not going to waste my day on that, on that, that sort of an indication. While we go on down the road, another uh, group of dogs that comes up behind us in f- that were from the area, they come up through there and their box blows up. I mean, it's just, ah! I mean, just box shaker. Our dogs didn't realize they weren't familiar with that. Those dogs that came through in the second truck had already adjusted to the situation, the environment, the humidity levels. They knew that that was enough for them to be able to catch that bear. Based on my dog's experience from the environment they came from, they're like, yeah, I kind of smell one, but I'm not sure. So they're lacking confidence. Yeah, That's the differences I've seen. But by the end of the week, we were getting box shakers. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. With, with our dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. It's yeah. Nurture nature type thing, you know, mm-hmm. in a slightly different direction. But yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, yep. And well, Chad, you got. Kinda... Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, man, you got so much going on there. We definitely need to get get together again. But but I do want to ask you a couple more questions about these drops. Yeah. Um. So. 
are you finding that with the drive and different stuff on your big and dangerous game, you know, your bears and your lions, is that presenting a special problem for you or are these dogs, do they, I mean, what, what kind of problems does that present for you? You can, and, and this is, I knew this one was probably going to come around too. You get people on, on all sides. I get some drop people that are like, Hey, you run your dogs on bear and lion. That's stupid. I've been told that by predominant breeders mm -hmm. and I've had other breeders that are like, man, that's fantastic. This is what they're for. Get after it, man. You know? So, I mean, you, you, just like everything else, there's all kinds, you know? And then uh, on the other side, you know, you get some hound people that are like, that dog doesn't belong, you know? And I'm like, eh, it's just one more dog, it, you know, like don't do that. Yeah. Or other people that are like, Oh, that's what I need. I need grit. I'm like, man, you can get grit with your hounds too. You know, like, so there's, you can, you can actually get all, all types, but, um, um, Oh gosh, I got off in the weeds. What was the question again? <laughs> what kind of special problems has okay. have you found that that's presented yes. with that amount of drive and wanting to put their mouth on? Something? Okay, yeah, that then that is a thing. You know, they do want to put their mouth on. They want to they want to pick it up and bring it back. And if it's alive, they want to shake it <laughs> first. Um, and they they do have more. Of that's a, a rough. What's that? That's a rough way. That's a rough way to live if you're looking at a 250, 300 pound black bear. Oh yeah, big time, big time. You know, yeah. there's some that won't, you know, grab a hold under any circumstances, and there's some bear that are just whooshing. You just get one step closer. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, you're gonna meet your maker today. You know, mm -hmm. um, and uh, so what? What I what I find, you know, because I've heard, and I, I guess I don't need to get into disclaimers anymore because there's there's a bunch of parties on this. But what I've found is uh, I believe the people that are afraid of running their jots on it or think that there's going to be a problem, they they aren't houndsmen. They aren't familiar with mm -hmm. training bear and lion and everything. And like our hounds, by the time they're training their first bear and lion, they've, they've learned that they can't whoop everything in the woods already. You know? right. And there's various ways to go about that that, you know, we don't really need to get into, you know, but like there's, they know that, you know, they're going to win, but they can't just grab a hold and shake everything. They, they can't do that. You got to back right. up and bark at it, you know, and their genetics tell them. I, you even have some tough dogs that will put their mouth on game and they still don't even bite it. They bark at it with their mouth on it, you know. Um, so yeah. that kind of lends the hounds as well, you know, whereas the drought's like, I want to grab this, shake it or bring it back to dad or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. and I think the biggest trouble is people are like, okay, I'm going to go out with my buddy, Fred, who's got a bunch of hounds. I'm going to throw my drop down with him. And up until that point, his dog is like four years old and he's only ever put his mouth on animals that he is, is, is stronger than, you know, that he can outmatch immediately. He's never, he is unaware that there's an animal on the planet that can whoop him, you know, and yeah. the learning curve can be steep. If the very first right. time that, bear, that that dog learns that is on that rough bear, you know, that we, we mm -hmm. all know is out there, you know? Um, now if he runs onto that sissy female or that sissy male bear that just, you know, isn't going to bite no matter what happens, he's just going to run that. Okay, great. You know, heck, he might be even in more trouble next time though, you know? So I yeah. find that the only time you could really get into trouble is if you work a lot of small for a game with your drive over and over and over and over and over. And he thinks he's an Abrams tank. And then you take him out and throw him on a, on a walking <laughs> bay. You're going to have trouble. You are, but that's the case with anything. If you took like a rough, whatever breed of hound and only ever worked it on game that he could bark at a few times and then, and then dispatch, 
and then do the exact same thing. Wait till he's four and a half years old and then throw him out on a walking bet. You are going to have the same problem, you know? And it's just, I think one breed lends itself to this type of training and this other breed, you know, you know, draw the hound, you know, they lend themselves to working this way. And I think the hounds more often learn that they, you know, they aren't, they can't kill everything in the woods, you know, and my, yeah. but they can do both haggis. I mean, a badger is not a weak animal. A badger is not a weak animal. They no. bite hard. Um, or a coon down in a, and like a 35 pound coon down in a tight little hole. That is a, that is a rough animal, you know? Yeah. And haggis can go down a hole that's not deep, you know, like sometimes badger will run to him and then go down in him and turn around and fight from the hole. And he'll grab a hold of that badger, pull it out, shake the stuffings out of it and bring it back to me. And he knows how to do that safely, but efficiently. Mm-hmm. But then he bays 10 feet back, 15 feet back on a bear. They know the difference. They know the difference, yeah. you know, and that's one of the bonuses. Yes, they are, in my opinion, on average, harder. They want to grab it, hold it, put their mouth on it mm-hmm. and grip it. Um, but because they're, I would say a drothar is a, a little more of a dog trainer's dog you know, they come moldable. Um, that lends itself to a communication, like a, a co a codependent relationship with that dog. And that they aren't smarter, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. They aren't smarter, but they, they understand better. You can explain it. They, they pick up on things better where hounds learn their best and coolest lessons. When you're ever like, Hey, that's a brilliant hound. It's because of stuff they learned on their own. Whereas with the drug, yeah. you can kind of say, hey, don't do this. No, don't do this. And then he's like, okay, I got you. You know, so they, so it can be harder. So what you're saying is smarter. So to make sure I understand what you're saying, you feel like hounds learn from exposure and they figure stuff out on their own. Whereas a lot of times draughts are more moldable in the training situation to be able to accept that. That's is that, right. Is that kind of, okay. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm trying to get at. So, I mean, they, the, the fact that Haggis can learn that he can kill a badger and bring it back to me, but bay a bear is, is a big deal, you know? Um, whereas like a yeah, hound can is. learn that it could shake the stuffings out of a small raccoon and bring it back to you, but he needs to bay a bear too. But a badger bites hard. And I'm not saying a badger can't, uh, hounds can't kill a badger or bring it back to you or something like that. But like that would be- Most won't though. Uh, yeah, I, I, would, uh, I would agree, you know, on average, yeah. you know, that, that's the way where, where Haggis is like, hey, this is a hard biting animal. This is a full grown male coyote. This is a full grown 40 pound badger, you know, that bites like a set of vice grips, you know, um, and I can, I can kill these, you know, that bear over there, well, I can't, I need to bark at that. And they can learn that. So I would say- I'll give you a- if you don't start Give them it. out the right way, you can get in all kinds of drama. If you start them the right, right way, they can be they can be just as good as a hound, you know. But just don't I, let them be a three I, year old dog the first time they learn what a bear is. I've seen that. I've seen that with these plots. You take yeah. them to the to the marsh or take them hog hunting. They have zero respect for a hog. It it's the hog, even though it's got big cutters on it and stuff like that they don't recognize that part of it as a threat because mostly the pig presents itself as prey. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's running. It's, yep. it's still, there's something they know that that pig is scared of them. Whereas they run a bear into a laurel thicket and it's backed in there. They read that body language and they know <laughs> that this isn't someplace. I do not need to be in there challenging this end of the bear. You know, I'm, I'm at a disadvantage here. 
I've seen some great hounds that that have learned where that distance is. And I think as houndsmen, we'd like to see it close and tight. Mm-hmm. We'd like to be able to talk about close bay and hounds. But I'm to the point where if my dog can hold it at 15 feet, he's still holding it. He yeah, doesn't exactly. need to be five feet. And and if he needs to be five feet or two feet, he can be. But if he can do it at 15, I'm happy. Yeah. I don't, you know, I'm not packing dogs out. I'm not stapling dogs up and stuff like that. But it's the same. It's you the know, same with pigs. Yeah. I mean, they, yeah. they, you can, um, there's a fine line between oh, keeping them at yeah. bay and pushing them to run, you know, like, and it, it's individual pig, you know, it's, yeah. it's, you get some pigs that even though they, they may be 250, 275 and have big cutters on them, they just don't turn around and they still want to get away where you get some of those hogs that'll be like, I don't have to run from you. And, and you'll yeah. get in there. And you've got dogs that are that are reaching in and grabbing, but then they're getting back. You know, yep, yep. it's crazy. Yeah, it's ama- it, That's what amazes me about these dogs is their ability to recognize that, and they they can read body language and they have that sense to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so back to that. Uh, that that would be the different the, the difference. Yeah, yes, the draught's wanting to grab a hold, but they just need to learn that they aren't an Abrams tank. You know, there are bigger animals out there than them, you know, and use your voice, back up, bark at it, you know, right. like that's, you're still doing it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And as long, like I said, as long as it doesn't have four years of just running in, not even barking and grabbing the furred animal and dispatching and, and then, and then you take it out there and throw it in with a bunch of veteran hounds on a walking bay, you'll, you'll be just fine. You know? Um, yeah. So that's, yeah. that's the difference there. Um, um, uh, well, good yeah, deal. So the hardness versus a hound, the uh, the nose comparison, and and and, you know, and the tracking. That's that's uh, what I assumed that most houndsmen would want want to know about them. What um, my favorite part of him, like I said before, is he's my buddy. You know, like that's that's yeah. what I got. He that's what he lends. He's you know, like uh, joking aside, without fear of sounding corny, he's my best friend. He really is. Me and that dog do everything. We'll go find raccoons and catch and kill them. We'll kill badgers. We'll pull them out of the ground. We'll point chucker. We'll point pheasants. We'll retrieve ducks. My buddy will shoot ducks, but hey, we lost three of them out there. Can you bring Haggis out here and help him find them? We'll go out there and find them. You know, he'll blind retrieve. He's not even there. I'll just walk up and say, bring. He goes out there. He'll find the ducks and bring them back. You know, um, I can hunt him with my falcon, you know, so he knows don't kill this bird. But, you know, you know, we kill chuckers, (laughs) but we don't touch the falcon. You know, um, oh, we yeah. chase the rabbit. Amazing. So we chase the rabbit so that the falcon can hit the rabbit. So if you can get the rabbit, kill it. But if the bird gets there first, don't touch it. Go find another one. He plays with my daughter. He'll tree bear. He'll tree lion. Um, I I have livestock here. He helps me sort hogs. He'll grip hogs so that Thank I can you. tie them and shuffle them around. He understands to let go on command. Like, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like he's he booger barks at strangers. He's an 80 pound dog. So when uh, the FedEx guy comes up, you know, and he gets out of his truck, he's a big dog and he's barking at strangers. But then you could come over. I could give you the leash and you guys could go hunting. Like they just, yeah, they do everything. And if I had to say specifically what they would add to a hound pack, they could lend themselves to at the end of a race. You know, I think that at stock without being some, you know, trainer that's fully committed to bringing the absolute best out of these draughts, you know, if, you know, a houndsman got it, I think 
out the box, just if you took that puppy, raise it like your hands and threw them in the pack, they would on average lend themselves to finishing a little bit better at mm -hmm. the end when it's up and you're just trying to close the distance to get them to go yeah. up, you know, they're pretty good at that. They're fast and they're hard and yeah. they want to put their mouth on it, you know, and wow. they can do that. And, but then all the other aspects of it, you know, they are not a specialty dog. They are a, you know, a versatile dog that can do a little bit of everything, you know? Um, and that's what so, I've been under the hounds. For, for the, and I hate to say, use this term, your typical houndsman. Hmm? Um, Which are uh, artists, they, so to speak. They're great. Absolutely. It's not a bad thing. Typical houndsman yeah. is not a bad word. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't mean that to be, I guess I'm looking at it like, hey, from from uh, an Eastern hunter perspective, if all I do is bear hunt and hounds can do what I need them to do, then maybe a drought's not for me. Maybe I'm getting what I need from my hounds. Mm -hmm. But if you're looking for versatility and maybe a little change of flavor, then the drought can do that plus, you know, retrieve some birds and, and things like that. Blood trailing. They're incredible blood trailers, you know, so you can throw them down with your hounds and tree the bear. And then when you shoot the deer that you lose the deer, you know, you can, you can, you can track it up, you know, or the coyotes are getting a little too close. You know, you want something, you made that bad shot on that predator, you know, and, and now you need to, you know, you don't want to they're trash being used for everything. They're, be, they're being used for everything. You can use them for decoy dogs, for coyotes. You can use them for blood trackers. You can use them. But I think a lot of times, you know, we, we, uh, we take away that specialized are we giving up anything when when we're taking trying to take a jack of all trades master of none out there um obviously if i was a coon hunter in the east i'm going to stick with a coon hound breed if that's my thing mm -hmm. but um not to say that you couldn't be successful you know i always brag about roxy and and uh the boxer and and axel they're a lot of fun to walk down the creek, but if I'm going coon hunting, I already have that standard that's in my mind, and they're never going to fit that bill for me. Mm -hmm. um, would you classify a draught kind of in that same same aspect? That it won't – yeah, well, it's not going to be the way you think. Like, you you go through it, you wind them, they start sounding off, you get old Sparky out, put him on the track, he barks that long brawl, that beautiful noise that you know what that means, and he goes off and you can yeah. dump another dog or two to him. Is it going to be that style? Kind of. Uh, it's not going to sound the same. Haggis like, right. I, I, it sounds like my belt <laughs> slipping, you know, um, mm -hmm. but uh, the drive's there. It's so, I mean, there, there's going to be a little bit different style, but like you can almost, you can hear the track progress with the drops. This, you know, it's not the same, you know, you could, you can tell how close your dog is, you know, to yeah. a coon once they've, you know, they're a seasoned dog. You go, okay. He's about this far. He's about, uh, it's about the tree. Oh, there it is. He's in the tree. Let's yep. go. You know, and you can kind of hear that with the draughts if you stay focused with it. Now, if you uh -huh. only, you know, tree a coon once or twice a year, no, you're never going to see it come out of there, you know. But if you stay, if you stay at it, you can kind of hear them like when the beginning, it'll just be this real high pitch. Hi, 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 you know, and that's him uh, working a cold track. And then once he gets closer, he'll start hammering, you know, a little bit louder. And then when he trees, it's obvious, you know, it's a very... Right quick chop you know so you can kind of you can kind of hear it um obviously. i guess i guess what i'm getting at chad hmm. is you know we're not we're not looking at trying to find the draughts that are going to go out there and win competition coonuts i'm not trying to i'm just trying to, i wanted to have you on to expose this breed of dog 
that is extremely versatile and and we don't always look outside of our own little echo chambers you know for years and years and years we've been looking at basically seven hound breeds to do specific jobs and what i want to do with the podcast and i've started adding terrier work and and now draughts and things like that there's other options out there if you're adventurous you go into it with an open mind that you're not going to get the you're not going to get hound characteristics and maybe even a lot of the same types of performance there but they are available to do a very good job and do solid work for you would that be accurate yeah, that'd be accurate. I like if I heard somebody say, "Hey, I'm doing great work with my hounds. We're treeing bear and lion." Um, um, but I, I kind of I, I might want to get into shooting a few ducks, you know. Or it'd be cool mm-hmm. if I had a blood trailing dog, you know. Or or hey, I've always wanted the point. I got some pheasants around here, you know, and I'd like to. Th- that's when I would say, "Hey, you you need to get one of these draughts, you know. Like you can yeah. hunt with your hounds, and you can go do some of those other things." Now, I'm not going to lie and say that if you want your dog, like for example, Haggis does all these things. It, it's work, you know. They have to be proficient in all these things. They don't just do it all, you know. They can do it all, but they don't just do it all without training, you know. But if they wanted something that, you know, like okay, we can go tree a bear and a lion, and then you know maybe tomorrow go get after them pheasants. When I got my buddies down, we want to go shoot some pheasants. That's a dog you yeah. can do both with. If you just want the absolute best, all you, you all you want to do is tree bear and lion, you might still have fun with it, but I'm not going to go out of my way and say, you need this. I would say the draughts are there for the guys that, you know, maybe want to look at something a little different, you know, or, yeah. or want to do this, have a dog that they could do this, you know, and then, and then maybe go do a little bit of that. And that's, that's how, that's one of the reasons I like them so much. I got buddies that are right. seven dog people and they, um, all they do is game birds, you know, like quail, chucker, pheasants, grouse. And they're, they're just with that 24-7. And any day I can go with them and they're going to they're gonna help put me on game. And we're going to have a blast. And then my other friends, yeah. every single day that it's in season, they're out there trying to chase a bear or a lion. And I have, I have a setter or two and I have, you know, 10 hound dogs. And if I'm going with the hound people, I'll bring my, my hound dogs. And I'll bring my drought haggis, you know, and if I'm, yeah. you know, if I'm going to go out there and point game birds with, you know, like some of my good buddies, like Tyler Saban, UB Guyverson, these are like big time bird, game bird hunters that I, I hunt with on a regular basis. And uh, I can go down and I can put that dog down with them too. So that's, that's what I would say right. is really neat about them. You want something to decoy a coyote with and then go run some hounds or you want to retrieve some ducks and then go do it. You want a blood trail, you want to put, you know, find that elk and then do it. That's, that's what they're for to me. Wow. That sounds like that sounds like an amazing animal. And I, um, I, I'm glad you took time to talk to us today. We're going to have to wrap this one up. I hope you'll, we'll talk after the show and think about <laughs> some other things that talked about. Uh, but yeah, I'm gl- glad you came on to talk about drot ha- no drot har. Yeah. Drot har. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Good deal, man. Chad, thanks so much for your time. And, yeah. uh, I know we just scratched the surface. A lot of times when we have great guests on, you know, the first episode is more or less, hey, this is Chad. He was fun. We let, we need to talk to him some more, you know, and, and we'll rope you into coming back and doing it some more. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, I would say I'm, I've been on Facebook for a little while. I'm trying to, I'm just getting into the Instagram. One of my ranch hands has been beating me over the head with a hammer, trying to get me to do the Instagram thing for a little while to get some exposure, you know, cause we do the animal training for a living. So it's not like you can open a phone book and 
look for some of these things. You can't right. Google animal trainers, but more more than some other fields, you got to see what you do to be worth it. You know, so uh, give me a little bit of time. I'm getting the Instagram thing going. Uh, I got albums and Facebook that are deep with all the stuff that we were kind of talking about with the falconry, the dogs, the hounds, the terrier games, the whatever you can dream of. You know, it's, so it's all there. Give us a check us out. Um, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I love I love being on. I can talk too much about dogs. I'm sure I got away a few times <laughs> in the weeds. That's what this show's all about, man. But that's what we're supposed to be doing. I'm sure glad you had me on. And uh, you bet. Uh, I, I I'd like to come back. So if you guys got anything else you want to talk about, yeah. All right. Well, sounds good, Chad. And uh, until we until we talk again, you follow your hounds, and I'll follow mine. Yes, sir. Take it easy. <laughs>